I remember the first time I told my mom I was HIV positive. Now, this is about 10 years ago, and at the time I was living in Nigeria, and HIV, just like the novel coronavirus that we're dealing with today, March 2020, HIV at the time had really changed the way that we lived. It changed the way that we relate to one another. It changed most of our habits, especially sexual habits. HIV, like the coronavirus and many other viruses, when they're coming to the human society, they have a way of just invading our space and just changing the way that we live and the way that we do things. And thinking about what people are going through right now, what we all are going through right now, speaking about how the novel coronavirus that causes COVID-19 has really changed the way we live, I thought it's appropriate to just bring back the story of my experience facing the HIV. Now, a little backstory to how this whole me telling my mom about HIV positive thing came about. I was in college and I was studying sociology. That was my major. And I also had a minor in psychology. And for my final term paper, I needed to do a project that had to do with one social problem or the other. There was quite a couple of them um, from female genital mutilation to crime rates in the society. This was in Nigeria. And for some reason, I just said about stigmatization. That's what I wanted to write about. And my mom was working with the Nigerian Institute for Medical Research, NIMA. And at the time, they were the only institution that was responsible for most medical researches in Nigeria, especially at this time, HIV. And I've always had this affinity for public health. So I decided I was going to do a project on stigmatization on people living with HIV. And if you know anything about me, I really like to be as authentic as possible. So I wanted my project to be very authentic. I didn't want to go research and regurgitate what other people had written. Even though I needed research for knowledge, I wanted to really research and encounter what people who were living with HIV were like. So I decided to start looking out for NGOs and places where I could find someone living with HIV because I didn't have a face to the virus. All I knew was just whatever I had found on Facebook at the time or Google or whatever I've heard. There was no way I could either relate with this virus. So I decided I was going to search and I really wanted to find out what this was going to be all about. I eventually found an NGO in Yaba, Lagos, Nigeria, and they said they were willing to work with me on my project. And so I met this lady, I'll call her Mary for the purpose of this podcast. Mary was very nice to me and um, she helped me out with the research, pointed me in the directions where to get my authentic information from. 
I began to learn a lot more about HIV, how that HIV was not a cause from the gods, which is what a lot of people thought at the time, like it was just a curse from the gods, but no, HIV is not something that you get as a punishment for being promiscuous. No, <laughs> HIV was not a punishment for having sex with someone of the same sex. No, um, HIV was just what it was. It was just a virus. It was, at a time, considered to be a zoonosis, which simply means that it's a virus that jumps from animals to humans. Um, that is what the coronavirus also is. It has that characteristics, where it initially has an animal host, but able to also mutate and leave in humans, so it can jump from animals to humans. And that's what we call a zoonosis. So HIV at the time, that's what it really was. Although today, HIV has mutated and has become just a purely human-to-human -human, um, kind of disease or virus. But back to what I was talking about. This is me researching, learning more, finding more about the virus. And the more I learned, the more exposure I got, the more intrigued I was. And so I told Mary, okay, I think I know quite enough. So I'm ready to meet someone living with the virus. I know you said you were going to introduce me to some of them who come around to get their drugs and get counseling. Whom can I meet? Who's going to be willing to talk to me? And Mary looks at me and like, I am HIV positive. Then like, whoa, I was shocked. Let me just tell you why. Mary is damn pretty. She is so, so beautiful, gorgeous girl. I had no clue she was HIV positive. More so because the picture that I had in my mind of someone who was living with HIV wasn't someone who should be gorgeous or who should look good. The picture I had in my mind was that of someone who was dying, skinny, um, you know, all the veins just worth showing, who was obviously sick. I didn't expect someone with HIV to be living a normal life, even though I'd heard that that's the way they were until it becomes full-blown AIDS. I knew that, but it just didn't occur to me because what sank or what stuck with me and many other people at the time was, you know, the scariest stories. We tend to remember the scary stories more than we remember even the good ones because the scary stories is what a lot of people post out there on social media because they're all looking for clickbaits. The scary stories sell more. So I had no clue. I almost peed in my pants when Mary told me she was HIV positive. Thankfully, I had been doing my research because if I didn't know better, I might have run away from her thinking just being close to her may have given me the disease, even though that's not how HIV is being transmitted. For each virus, the mode of transmission differs. For the novel coronavirus that we deal with today, 2020, yes, this virus can be transmitted through um, respiratory fluids, um, things like saliva that comes out when someone is talking, when they cough, that's one of the main ways that you can transmit um, the novel coronavirus. Unlike HIV, you couldn't transmit it through just saliva. So here I am 
Mary tells me her story, how she found out that she was HIV positive and she was taking her drugs, her antiretroviral drugs. They were all helping to suppress the virus. And her boyfriend at the time talked with her. He stayed with her. He got married to her. And even though they were doing the things that couples do, you know, having sex, he remained negative. Mary got pregnant. Mary had a son. And the son was negative. Now, this is not a Tales by the Moonlight. This is not a Hollywood story. These are people that I knew one and one. And all that it did was just make me all the more curious to find out how the stigma really works. You know, the way that I felt towards Mary when she told me she was positive. She was smart. She made sure that I read up. I did my research before she told me. So I had enough knowledge and it was easier for me to manage and not stigmatize her. But I really wanted to feel what it felt like when the average person heard and how they, you know, put the whole stigma on you. So I decided I was going to go get my own HIV tests. I remember the day I went for the test, I would never forget. There was 11 of us. I was number six. We went in, they drew our bloods, and we had to wait about an hour for the test results to come out. That was the longest one hour wait of my life. I could never forget that. And I remember that eventually, when it came back, give us the results, the first lady who went in came out and she came out screaming and jumping for joy. And she just kept saying, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And she immediately began to curse somebody. I think his name was JDL. Let's say his name was John. <laughs> and she began to curse him out. Like, you know, it's, you would never do well. God's going to punish you. Yada, yada, yada. I'm just assuming that John probably was her boyfriend. And she probably figured out that John was sleeping around. And that's why she came to do the test. Now she found out that she's negative. She would just, you know, cut everything she had to do with June. And it was more, more or less like an opportunity for her to have a second chance at life. So we quickly all deduced that if you went in to get your results and you come out, you just have to jump and scream. So no one knows that you're negative or rather that you're positive if actually you are. So the first five people who went in came out jumping and screaming and, you know, we just hugged them and God bless you. It was my turn, number six, went in and my result was negative. I was so excited, but don't forget, my reason for going to do that was I wanted to find out how people who were stigmatized felt. So I came out with a straight face and no one came to shake me no one came to hug me no one said a word to me as a matter of fact everyone literally moved back in their seats like they didn't even want to get close to me the social distancing was real <laughs> at this time and i just walked away like whatever so on my way home i stopped by a friend of mine's place her name was grace and I'm like, Grace, I have something to tell you. Grace is like, hey, what's it? Just tell me. I'm like, Grace is very serious. And she's like, you know, go ahead. Whatever it is, just say it. And I said, Grace, I am HIV positive. Grace immediately 
jumps about six feet behind away from me. I don't know how she did it, but she jumped backwards six feet away and she began to curse like, God forbid, no way, it'll never happen. It is not your portion. I'm like, easy girl, I'm positive. She's like, no, you cannot be. I'm like, I am. And then she starts crying and she's crying all this while she's six feet away from me if i try to move closer to her she moves further away she's crying and i figured it out she was crying for two reasons number one i was gonna die because it looked like i had a death sentence in my hands which is what a lot of us thought about when we thought about someone living with hiv like they're dead they're gone and the second thing was that not just that i was gonna die but that I was already dead to her right from that moment because nobody wanted to be friends with someone who was HIV positive. <laughs> nobody even wanted to call you or text you or see if you transmit a disease through a phone call. I mean, it was just a whole lot of stigma. I eventually gave her the paper. She saw the result. I said I was negative and she switched immediately from crying to praising and dancing and like, oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. You know? But I already felt what I wanted to feel, which is a stigma. And when I got home, I also told my mom about it, told her I was positive. But that, I didn't stretch it for long because my mom almost passed out. She almost had a heart attack. <laughs> so I immediately had to let her know that hey, I'm just messing with you. I'm negative. But I just wanted to feel, you know, what people who were positive actually did feel. So fast forward to today, March 2020. We're all dealing with the novel coronavirus that causes the COVID-19 disease and it's changing the way we live. And unlike 10 years ago when I had to do a lot of research for HIV, there is way more information today per minute about the coronavirus. And while there is so much that we do not know, there is so much content and information out there about the same virus. And big shout out to all the social media platforms right now. I mean, even though they came on late to the game, but I really like what they're doing, how that they put it in front of you, how to get the accurate information about the disease, which is pretty cool. But people are confused. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to deal with this. And you know, like they say, the enemy to fear is the one you can't see. That's the one that is able to deal you the worst blow. And that's one of the things about the coronavirus. We can't see it. We don't understand it. But I dare say that I can put a face to the coronavirus. It reminds me of how I was able to put a face to the HIV, which is my friend Mary. And if you think about the coronavirus today, while I know that it's not a disease or it's not a virus that you can see with the naked eyes, the honest truth is that the face of this virus might just look like your next door neighbor, your brother, your sister, your child, your mom or your dad, or your friends or people who are immunocompromised. Think about a man right here in the ER. He's looking at his body once perfect. Right now, he can't even breathe. 
he's struggling for air, his legs are shaking, he's trying to grab the bed, he's throwing his head back, his eyes are wide open, nose open, mouth open, gasping for air. And all they can do is just get a ventilator, put it on him to help him breathe. And he's looking at all the people in scrubs around him, doctors and medical professionals, and they can't really help him with a cure. They can help stabilize him. And that's just about it. Because as of today, we don't even have a vaccine or a cure for this virus. And it's looking like there is no hope. So if he's unable to fight the disease, the disease might take him over. Imagine the fear and the terror on his face. That is the face of the coronavirus. That is what it looks like. It is not far-fetched. It could be anybody around you. When you look at the people around you, your face in a traumatic situation is the face of the virus. So you have it right there. It is not just about us. And I don't say everything I'm saying right now for you to become scared of humans and other people. I'm just saying it because I wanted to practice these three C's. Number one, be curious. Be intelligently curious. In other words, get your information from the right sources. Learn about the virus. Don't overlearn. Don't overstudy or over-research to the point where you become um, paralyzed, analysis paralysis. No, just know enough intelligently from the right source. Today, cdc.gov or WHO, these are places where you can go to to get accurate and adequate information about the coronavirus to know exactly what to do. So be curious intelligently. Number two, be cautious, but do not be afraid. Take precaution. Do what you need to do. Wash your hands. Practice every hygiene technique that they've taught us. Wash your hands for 20 seconds. If there is no soap and water, just sanitize your hands. Try to keep maintain at least six feet from people when you're out in public. Better still, stay at home. Practice social distancing if you have to go out at all. Um, these are things that I have said to us to help us limit the spread of the virus. And if you're intelligently curious, you would understand how these techniques actually do work. Uh, you know what not to do because you're not going by fear or you're not getting your information from social media. So I know what to do. I know what not to do because I understand the way the virus works. I beg your pardon, not the way it works, but the way it's been transmitted. At least we know that for now. And we're still collecting data. So you still need to update your curiosity from time to time. So number one, be curious intelligently, be cautious. And number three, be compassionate. Show compassion to people around you. Um, the honest truth is that you might be negative today. And even if you're positive, you might not be showing symptoms. But what about the person next to you who might not have the capacity to withstand the invasion of the virus on them? Probably because they're immunocompromised 
or probably because, you know, they just have a weaker immune system. For their sake, for the sake of people like Mary, for the sake of anyone at all out there who might have a hard time dealing with this disease. And maybe for your own sake too, be compassionate. Um, be compassionate and practice every precaution. Be compassionate in the way you refer to them and in the way you talk to them. Um, do not make them feel like they're having a death sentence because they're positive with coronavirus or they have the COVID-19. This is not a death sentence. As much as you can, be compassionate. Not so compassionate that you throw caution to the wind, but be compassionate enough to make sure that they know that they have someone and they're not so scared that they get killed by the fear and not even COVID-19. So, one more time, be curious intelligently, be cautious and not afraid, be compassionate, be compassionate. And I'm sure that once you practice this, updating your curiosity, um, practicing and making sure that every caution that you're taking becomes a part of your habits and making sure that compassion is just something you do naturally at the end of the day, I'm sure that we'll be able to outlive this virus. And when it's all said and done, you and I, hopefully, will be left standing and living our lives again. Uh, maybe not like we used to, but, you know, better. <laughs> because I dare say that coronavirus is really going to change the way we do a whole lot of things. Anyway, thank you so much, guys, for tuning in to today's episode of The Real Fitness Podcast. This is season two, episode one. Of course, I had a different lineup of topics to talk about during my first episode of the new season, but I'm sure that all the content I have are things that are really going to bless you. It's going to take a very unique and different format, and I'm really hoping that you'll be blessed, you'll be inspired, and every time you tune in, I'll add great value and great content to you. Thanks. My name is Henry again. It's been nice talking with you. Don't forget to subscribe, like, and share this podcast with your family and friends. I love you and keep it real. Bye for now. <music>